0: Hey, Nick, have you ever been to the Sagrada Familia in Spain?
1: Yes. uh, My wife and I went there actually before we were married. We we went there. We went to Barcelona specifically to see that. So
0: have you seen uh, the work of or do you know the work of uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Etsuro Soto, who is uh, one of the
1: sculptors uh, of a lot of the metal work there. Yes. And in fact, the man who taught me to forge steel um, named Richie Lichtenstein, somebody that I've known since I was 10 years old, uh, went to Barcelona. He lived in New York. He went to Barcelona to try and volunteer to help work on on the Sagrada Familia. And the old timers that were there didn't want any help from some crazy, you know, Polish guy from New York. (laughs) So so they they turned him away. And, and that was good because he came back to New York and I was able to apprentice to him and, and learn my trade.
0: Was he also a sculptor of, um, sort of like leaves and trees and, and natural, uh, type of foliage, uh, out of metal?
1: Well, actually he, he, he did amazing work that was more based around, I I've got to say, okay, so he was born in Poland while Hitler was invading and then his, his father got him on a freight car and got him to relatives in Moscow. And that's how he survived World War II. And then he went from there to Israel and decided that was rapidly turning into a fascist state as well. And then he came to the U.S. So he'd been in this country since the early 60s. And. Oh, wow. Where's this going? I
0: I, well, I, 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 I was asking about like the foliage so. Oh, went, okay, so his, the, so his
1: so okay. his work had uh, for some reason it had all this um, Native American stuff in it. Um, not it didn't look like Native American stuff. It looked like um, you know Eastern European art, but the subjects were often Plains Indians. He was uh, really obsessed with horses, and so a lot of his work was figurative. But he tended to make uh, Native Americans on horseback and. Uh, monsters and uh, women and uh, really figurative stuff and it's not like anything you've ever seen and it's not like anything I do either it's it's completely unique he wasn't trained as a metalsmith first um, he had all, you know, a really complicated series of different uh, kinds of art that he went through but this is what he ended up really liking and uh, picked it up sort of mid-career and then I learned from him
0: Okay, so that's that's maybe tangential to what I was thinking, but um, yeah, so the, they have these doors. I think it's the door of the charity at the Nativity Facade on the Sagrada Familia, and it just looks, it's like um, covered in ivy. I think you can look this up online, uh, or I can post a link, um, but it's all this,
1: uh, like
0: like thousands of leaves. And yeah, and it feels really kind of like seaweed,
1: me. too. Um. It definitely had th- that guy and that that style of forging has impacted several uh, people who do forged work. But mostly there are people who are more in the art, uh, kind of going in the direction of artwork rather than um, traditional mm-hmm. forging. It's it's a lot of fun. There's a, a lot of plate work. It definitely had a lot of influence on me uh, seeing that stuff.
0: That's, that's really neat. Yeah, you're the first person I thought of when I went to see it. Um, it's, you know, I, I guess it doesn't have all that much to do with cameras, other than um, it's a real engineering marvel. He had all sorts of, um, sort of, uh, hanging rope
1: models uh, for figuring out arches and things.
0: Oh, um, that kind of reminded
1: me of 3 yeah, so, uh, CAD drafting. Yep, no, the technical stuff is there underneath it. There's a lot of math in his work, um, but but at the same time his work was almost, I would say inspiring to photographers because he takes something that is on the surface, technical architecture, and then he makes artwork that's extremely uh, affecting. It has a powerful emotional content. It tells stories. It does all this stuff that most architecture doesn't do a very good job of doing. Um, Not I'm being a little harsh. There's lots of good architecture, but there's a richness there. That's really exceptional. And it's, I don't know, that's what I admire in really good photograph, is something that transcends the technical limits of the thing and, and does more.
0: That's that's what I admire in a good camera.
1: <laughs> well, <sure>. yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to picture a, a gouty camera, but I suppose one could do it. Yeah. Probably would have uh,
0: a lot of different colors on it. And may, maybe, <laughs> uh, probably, well, probably got that, not so much plastic. You've got that part going, yeah.
2: I'd like to think so.
3: Hey Graham,
0: have okay. you seen this thing?
2: Well, I'm looking at it right now. I'm, uh, uh, I, uh, I, I know the spires. You know, I'm, oh. I mean, I'm familiar with those. But I'm, I'm just in awe of some of the interior of this. But it, you know, it reminds me, uh, very much of, uh, I mean, it postdates the design. But, you know, H.R. Geiger's or Geiger, you know, however you want to pronounce his stuff, um, where you get these incredible organic uh, shapes moving into each other. And they're fibrous and they are, um, uh, you know, non. Uh, well, I don't want to say nonlinear there. They're, uh, they're there doesn't sweet, look to be a like straight seaweed. line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ceiling. Well, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, uh, well, I'm looking at the architecture of the building as a whole as opposed to the just the metalwork of those doors, uh, which, you know, uh, amazing. Uh, so, reminds me very much of this guy I know who, uh, did some rainforest doors, uh, in Seattle. Um, <laughs> so, so here's yeah.
1: something else about that, that, though, that tower has a very uh-huh. cam- camera like quality. When you climb the tower, you go up a spiral staircase and at the time I was there a long time ago, uh there were no guardrails of any kind and uh-huh. all the way down as you spiraled all the way up and then all the way down, there are there were large openings that point down towards the ground at a 45 degree angle. And when I say large openings, I mean you could uh-huh. dive through them with effortlessly <laughs> without touching stone and plummet to the bottom of the tower. Oh, and, my God. And while you're yeah. doing this, while you're traipsing up these many, 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 I don't know, it's huge. It's very tall, spiral stairs of old, worn steps. There are little kids hurtling past you in both directions. Right.
2: <laughs> Ready to knock you, and knock, and, and knock and you know, down one of those things.
1: Clearly a place. Yeah. Bus- but but also you had these amazing views of this of the ground far below at this funny uh-huh. angle. And it, it had a very kind of lens like quality. The,
2: OK, yeah. yeah. And, and, and what I'm thinking of entirely is every one of these pictures that I'm looking at looks like it was taken, you know, uh, with about a a 20 millimeter lens on full frame, you know, um, it but I don't think it it is. I mean it, it looks right. like it is a That's building a that was that was designed to look like it is an incredible wide angle
0: you would have uh, um, No as, it, it most certainly was an in incredible wide angle. It was the one time mm-hmm. in my trip where I was like uh, I might as well not take pictures and just get a postcard because I didn't carry a, an 18 millimeter lens with me. You know, right. it's a useful lens once in a while, but, um, usually not for me, but yeah, I mean, the space is big and all around you. It's almost definitely, if you have any, <laughs> any sense of it, it's from a super wide angle lens.
1: Right. I, also, I also think what Graham is saying, if I'm hearing right, is that it distorts perspective in the way that a wide angle lens does. So that absolutely it gives you that experience just with the naked eye. And that's, yeah. and I believe that's true too. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um and uh I look everywhere. yeah 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 and it also looks like while the center uh what is it the nave or whatever um is appears to be a soaring space it looks to me like it it it, it would feel like it is closing in yes so it's right. not a mm-hmm. big rectangular space yep so the the sense of space just looks like it'd be incredibly different from what I'm used to. Yeah.
1: There's um, more of like of a feeling of weather, you know, of like cloud cover or something when you're inside it, it doesn't have that Gothic thing. It's quite different. And it, yeah. And, and all those holes aren't to direct light down in, they direct the light up. So when you're in that stairwell, the light is coming up from below, which you know in Spain oh, makes yeah. sense because you would fry like a you know like a fly on a griddle otherwise. Um,
0: so I think their purpose oh, yeah, is yeah. actually to direct sound down from the carillon bell. Oh well, that makes sense, oh. but
1: but it also makes but sense it also because light. you get the diff, you get the diffuse light coming up instead of the you know glaring sunlight in your eyes.
2: It just it seems to me like they uh, needed to come up with a better contractor. I mean, it was 130 years to build it. You know, there's some contractor that.
3: Yeah,
0: it fa- sounds fast really- to me. <laughs> it was not less contractors than they needed to invent, uh, like the diesel generator, the French crane, you know, like the, yeah. <laughs> the technology they're building with now. It's, it's actually really, really interesting. Um, it it kind of reminds me of like modifying new cameras, particularly like uh, or sorry, modifying old cameras with new stuff. Um the work of like Jeff Perry, uh, Jeffrey Who or twentieth mm-hmm. uh, century cameras. Right? right. He's now doing some stuff that would have been m- much harder uh you know in the nineteen forties or whenever. Uh, but yeah the the, the Sagrada Familia is like uh maybe one third of the the floor on that block is filled with like construction sites with all sorts of like modern tools so they, they actually the most interesting thing to me about this was just like in the basement museum they had um you know new 3d printed models with like you know obviously cad and 3d scanning technology of different um different iterations of this building but they also had like gaudi's models that were uh, like catenary models that had like a million little plumb bobs with sand and then, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of hang upside down, hanging versions of these arches. Um, Yeah. Super interesting to watch the tools change. But um, I think Gaudi probably would have gotten more done with CAD. I I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, so, but maybe it wouldn't have been as interesting. I, I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that I think there's something about that analog, hands-on tangible stuff that you you get a different relationship to your design from, For sure. I don't know. Anyway, the, the other thing uh, that slowed it down was when my friend went there, Richie went there in the seventies. Uh, there was a very small number of very old guys that felt that they were the only people who, you know, were they, they were the, the people who worked with Gaudi and they only, they could do the genuine work and they didn't really want any help from any young upstarts. So that slowed it down too. Yeah. I sure, watched a sure. video
0: of this dude, um, Axe, who sculpted. Um, I think it's called the Passion Facade, and he, he almost did it in sort of like a cubist style. And I assumed when they told us before I saw the video that like he, you know, helped design and then had you know hundreds of people working on this. But like no, there's a video from 1992. He's like an old man like smashing stone with a hammer, like all bent over yeah. from the hard work but i think he just spent i don't know 20 years at it by himself with a hammer and sometimes a chisel mm-hmm. yeah
1: really it's... really kind of crazy hand work yeah it'll wear you right out that hitting granite is tough work
2: yeah <laughs> you know
1: I, I only did it for a brief time and i was like uh. Uh-uh.
2: <laughs> you know there's there's something um uh, about this that i think is uh pertinent to camera design not necessarily from a functional standpoint but from an aesthetic and maybe a hand use standpoint um in that this um this building is very much the denial of the rectangle uh the denial of the right angle the denial of uh you know uh uh, or, you know, you could say a celebration of the other things, you know, the other than right angle. Um, you know, it's the easiest thing that we can make as a cube. Uh, because, you know, if you're making out of wood, you just cut square, you know, square joints and square edges. And if you're uh, 3D printing, you know, you just <clears throat> cad up a rectangle. Um, and,
1: and forging processes start out always as just uh, two opposing forces and steel, right. it, steel itself has a cube lattice crystal structure. So it wants to make those shapes and you have right. to coax it to do anything else.
2: And, um, you know, and when you're uh, when you're cutting a stone um, with a chisel um, or you're cutting it with a, you know, a saw of, of a sort, you know, you, you tend to get a, a flat plane with a saw and you tend to work towards a flat plane with a chisel, but this is just, you know, okay, let's do something else, which I find very exciting uh, mm-hmm. about yeah. this building. It, it, it's too much. It's almost like, um, uh, baklava, um, for me, you know, where baklava, I can have one bite of baklava before my brain just overloads. Um, it, it's just there's too much sugar.
1: So now there's we know you're kryptonite.
2: Sweetness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, throw baklava at him. <clears throat>
1: OK, so Glenn, uh, you're, you're going to build the Sagrada camera. Uh,
2: well, I mean, yeah, I could. At a baklava. Um,
1: the sacred yeah. camera. Yeah. Get right on it.
2: But but I mean, you know, um, this is OK, so. This is exactly 100 percent opposite of Louis Sullivan and um, Frank Lloyd Wright, where form follows function. Um, Mm -hmm. Isn't it? Would you say? Yeah.
1: And also, uh, that's always been a little bit of hokey hooey anyway. I mean, yeah, form form is influenced by function, but doesn't necessarily follow it. I feel
0: I, I have like very conflicted feelings and had very conflicted feelings about going there without getting into religion and politics too much. I felt like you could say that the function of this thing was exactly its form. Right. I feel like they're doing a lot to convince people uh, that, that this lie is true, <laughs> you know, um, that th- the function was to just be oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. majestically improbable, like a, a miracle.
2: Yep. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Yeah. But but OK, so, yeah, I mean, that that goes to that goes to design, that goes to purpose that are not purpose. But that goes to, um, you know, working for the higher order kind of concept.
1: I think what bakla, baklava is doing the same thing. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs>
2: well, you know, part of it, let, let me put finish more sugar in. Just put some more sugar in. <laughs> yeah. Let me fi- finish out the baklava concept. Uh, and that is. I look at pictures of it and I don't know where my eye should go. Um, So from a visual hierarchy standpoint, this is, this is crap. You know, I mean, as, as a visual designer, I think of visual hierarchy constantly. And this is, this is for visual hierarchy because there's no order. So we've got more kryptonite for you here. It's yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, one of my, one of the things that I, um, uh, you know, I, I liken when I'm uh, teaching, I do an analogy of, um, uh, if you have, <clears throat> if you have no visual hierarchy in a page, uh, it's, it's like a bunch of first graders saying, oh, oh pick me, pick me, pick me. You know, it's just a sea of arms, right? And so it's the same.
0: I felt this oh. way standing inside or even outside, just like staring at a thing, like, it, on every side of you there's something to look at and there's like right. giant features to look at and tiny features to look at and the effect that it produced was like completely dizzying and amazing uh, It was like you know being
1: on drugs just, a little bit it, so, it was awesome so so, so here's the thing over- here's the thing graham that you're saying that's that's sort of actually making me setting my hackles a little bit uh you mm-hmm. want all of this stuff to point to the boss man you're, you you want all the leading lines to take us to some goal and why should it be that way why shouldn't no. it, it be but, uh, you know this sort of commu- I've spent communist collectivist it. <laughs> yeah it's like why not buy yeah. all the products you know
2: <laughs> uh-huh. i you know i mean this is this is like the direct polar opposite of the sheet of glass skyscraper right yeah uh, the rectangular sheet of glass, you know, uh, glass curtain skyscraper. Okay, so uh, gonna which come- is an amazing thing in and of itself. Um, so I'm going to make you know, a little from a minimalist point of view, which is I'm going to make a
1: little stab at a reason for why the Sagrada Familia doesn't have a focus. It's it. Uh, if you go farther south in Spain, you'll start to see stuff that's really influenced by Arab culture, that has this uh, extreme complexity. But it's never a representation. you're not showing people you know the the the, oh, the green oh. being you're showing people is sort of the the work is never representing the thing that we're that it's worshiping. it's just m- making a poem about it essentially so okay sure. th- I think that's on purpose. I think that you know there's a reason that Islam doesn't put pictures of the dead guy up everywhere like you know they do in, in northern europe it's just a completely different focus and i think that you're
2: seeing that in the
1: sagrada familia yeah
2: and and <laughs> yeah. And, and, and now that I, i'm looking at some other pictures i was looking at the aerial picture before i'm looking at some other pictures and i do see that the entrance is very focused and the the front the, the, you know where you're looking at um, the the central arch and we're driving, by the way, we're driving people who are in their cars and can't look at this. Note. Yeah. I, I yeah. apologize. But um, most, most yeah, people have seen these pictures. Yeah. Um, but it's um, I see very much an ordered focus from the front of the cathedral. Um, well, part of that siblings.
0: might have to do with with like when it was photographed. Right. So so a lot of these things are. You know, coming online time and again, but there's.
1: Yeah. So the so the other thing is that, you know, what I've always seen um, churches and stages and that sort of structure as being uh, most closely analogous to in nature is a flower because it's got this big portal. It's trying to lure you in. It's got the sugar. Right. It's got the baklava in there. And then Uh what you're going to do is you're going to pollinate the thing so that its culture gets passed to the next generation. It's just a big flower to get people to pass the word of their fate onto the next generation. That's, you uh-huh. know, it's a flower. It's just functioning the same way. It looks very similar. I mean, that's an extremely flower like building.
2: Okay. Uh, absolutely. And and I do see what you're saying about with time. It seems that at one point it was very plain and orderly and at other times, Maybe it's uh, a different view. I don't know. I need to do a little bit more research. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's still um, under
0: construction, right? So, like, depending on when you see pictures from or, like, which... face, So, it it has multiple distinct faces that uh, all have different styles. um, Oh, okay. Some intentionally and some um, just sort of, like, by... Well, (laughs) by the fact that some faces were built 100 years after... Other faces, you know, and so there's a little bit of material difference, even though, like, it was designed to have multiple different styles and stories told on on different faces. uh, It's kind of like, you know, 3D printers have, you know, one one style on the face that faces the bed and one style on the side faces and another style on the top.
3: Yeah.
1: And Uh, now we're all carrying our own little uh, screen or proscenium stage around in our pockets that we can stare at all the time. Maybe I should make a flower phone.
0: Okay, this is the part where I talk about my trip, but uh, I'm going to start with a quick zine update because um, we're okay. we're moving slow, and a lot of that is because of my trip, and I apologize.
2: Uh, um, a lot of it also happens to be because our printer um, said, yeah, we can send them out in two days and send them out in two weeks, so let's...
0: Yeah, but let's... also... W- It was supposed to ship to my house originally, and then I needed to ship it to Graham, and then they wouldn't ship it to Graham's P.O. Box, and we didn't want to leave them outside because it rains a lot in Florida. And so if I switched to USPS shipping, they would ship it to his P.O. Box, and then I did that, and then like two weeks later, they contacted me and said, hey, we can't ship to a P.O. Box. And (laughs) I said, you know, uh, well, anyway. (laughs) <laughs> They're here now. Graham has them. They look nice. He has yes. the weights for them, and I will buy the postage and send in PDFs later today. And so by the time this episode is up, some people in the U.S. should have them. Um, everybody should have tracking through Um I'm really sorry for the delay. Um, I'm going to get right back on. Printing orders and and that sort of thing. Um, I've only seen a picture from Graham's cell phone that he uh-huh. sent me, but they look very, very nice. I'm excited to have mine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they um, uh, there are a couple of things. Um, this is our first time through um, doing uh, a, a zine like this. So there are a couple of things that I would do differently. I think that um uh it's too big right now uh either we need to limit the number of entries the uh, number of pages uh right now it's 76 pages i think it is um and that's really too big for a saddle stitch which is you know when they have when they're stapled on their spines um and the uh we really should have done a heavier cover for this um so there's uh, there's some things we'll do differently next time but it's beautiful it is absolutely beautiful it's huge it is um
0: yeah i, I think know, i would like to push it. that if we ever do this again we do it on that slightly smaller size and, and uh-huh. you actually format it for it because it's like half the price on mixum um, yeah i think i think i'm uh, gonna be
2: doing one soon that i'm gonna do on that smaller size and yeah and we'll We'll take a look. We'll we'll uh, we'll figure that
1: out. Right. I'll
2: buy one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, so um, uh, tell us about uh, going to Spain.
0: OK, I'll I'll try and make it quick and mostly camera related because I've just been talking about all sorts of non-camera related things, but um, I've been trying to apply for Spanish citizenship and working on that process for about a year now. And also my college roommate uh, got married in Ibiza and I've been like kind of for a year trying to get them to match up and I, I did. So I went on a big long trip so I could go be Hans Fly in Reverend in Ibiza and then go apply for Spanish citizenship and then take another, you know, week and a half to, uh, fly and train around the country and see some sites and hopefully take some good advertising pics for Cameradactyl cameras.
3: <laughs> hey.
0: um, yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Um, I had to put a away message on my shop. I think Ed Pavez released a video with one of my four by five cameras. And then like within the first hour I had sold two cameras and I only had two days left to leave. And so I like did a oh shit, put up an away message and just worked until like the minute I left to get all of the orders that came in before the away message out, which I did. Now I'm not talking about Spain at all. Anyway. Um, yeah, (laughs) I I went to, um, Madrid and Ibiza and Malaga and Cordoba and Bilbao and Barcelona on this trip. Um, I just act a, you know, a single backpack, um, which was half full until I started packing cameras. Uh <laughs> I packed four cameras and two giant bags of film, um, two of which were the homunculus sixty nine and the panoramic prototype, and then I brought a Olympus Mew Two just for, you know, taking party pictures at night at a wedding, uh, which was useful. Um, and then I just couldn't help myself. I packed a Nikon FE with a 28 millimeter lens, which (laughs) I, you know, like I have such beautiful cameras. Um, I probably, you know, if I were just traveling, would have just taken, you know, a Leica, uh, M4 and one lens and had half a backpack's worth of stuff to schlep around and my feet would have felt a little bit better, but you know, I'm trying to run a business here, you know, so <laughs> <I was laughs> taking some, uh, photos to advertise the camera cameras and just, you know, testing them out some more and putting them, you know, un- under stress, putting some rolls through them, which was really fun. Um, it was really hard to take good pictures because, um, I wasn't sort of like just hanging around looking for it. Um, I brought a lot of film and wound up, taking a lot of pictures just because of like street scenes without anything particularly interesting going on in them. Uh, but you know, it was interesting to see Madrid and Barcelona and such, um, did a lot of scootering around. That was fun. Um, yeah. And then I did some camera related stuff, which we can talk about. Uh, that was probably Laura's least interesting part of the trip, but, my favorite was uh, <laughs> I got to go visit and stay with uh, Nico Le- Le- that Nico Yacera in uh, Bilbao. Um, we stayed a couple days with him, and he showed me all over the city. It was like a real mensch. We met his family. I saw his studio. Um, it was actually a super good time. Um, I think Laura really liked Nico uh, and and his wife and kids, but like wasn't super into hanging out with me and Nico because we would just talk about cameras and the camera biz nonstop
3: <laughs>
0: without any respect for anybody else. Um, so that, that was a really interesting thing. Uh, it was really interesting to see his setup and how much work he puts into all of those things. And, you know, he gets up at like four thirty in the morning to go to his normal job. And then, you know, it just seems like such a massive undertaking. Um, but yeah, it seems like he's, he's getting a lot of things um, sort of more streamlined in his process and starting to put out a lot of videos. I think what he does is really unique um, in that like, just, he puts together the news for a whole, at this point, very tiny industry, but I don't know anybody else who does the news like that. Um, and it's goofy. He's got that goofy jacket that I really like and sometimes funny ties. Um, but it, it really is like, if you want the industry news weekly on the uh, analog photo industry like Pop Photo might have done, you know, 20 years ago, that's that's Nico. And so uh, that, that was super interesting to me. I learned a little bit about Basque history and uh, some of the food they had up there. Um, and then I guess after that, we headed to Barcelona and Nico put me in touch with the guy who does uh, analog works, who unfortunately I couldn't meet up with. And um, the guy, w- Joaquin uh, from Obes- that OpenSX70. Um, and I, I've been following this project for a while. Um, it's what Joaquin has tried to, and actually successfully has removed the main circuit board and electronics from a SX-70 and now an SX-70 sonar and then <clears throat> made his own PCB that's computerized that does all of the thinking and then communicates to the physical devices like the, you know, shutter and aperture and focus control on the case of the SX-70 um, flash and all of these things. and so um he actually he took me out uh for a coffee and and showed me his shop it was really nice to talk to him uh oh, we... uh, uh, oh
2: let's let's go back to that okay so he's uh he's taken an ss sx 70 and now is he does he mount dials on it to adjust the shutter speed in the uh yeah how so, how what's the what's the mechanic of that what so what, what are the mechanics of that right
0: um there are many iterations of it, and it's an open source project. Um, I believe you can see it on – hang on one second. Uh, is it um, – the website is opensx70.com, right? So you can actually see how he's doing things through the iterations, and he does not have a final iter- iteration yet. He's like uh-huh. – you know, um, he definitely has camera beaties and cannot help himself from tinkering. We have that, that sort of – um, in common. Um, we also sure. talked about like Star Trek and the idea of the Borg, right? Which is um, some sort of machine taking over the brain of something else, which is an idea I had about some Yashica uh, uh, 35 Electro 35 GSN GS GX uh, CC cameras. But, you know, I, I couldn't spend a year developing it, but um, uh-huh. The SX-70 is a popular and unique camera, and a lot of people know it and love it. And I thought um, he had the same idea about this camera, and I I think he's done, like, a really amazing job. So um, how it works is the main circuit board um, takes controls from, like, the shutter button, and whether there's a pack loaded and some, you know, finger sensors and also this light meter. And otherwise, it's sort of automatic. The adjustment of the light okay. meter is actually... Um, a mechanical thing on the SX-70. Yeah. And so he has a board that, repli- you know, you could replace that board like a like a repair part, you know. Um, but also there's a dongle that plugs into the flash connector for that camera, which uh-huh. then gives another flash connector and then gives you manual control at this point over the shutter speed. But I think um, okay. if, so Joaquin was showing me a mechanical linkage within the, Um, shutter and aperture that he was looking at. And if he can make some small modification either to one of those pins or one of the dials, which is, you know, a physical and mechanical modification, he thinks he can get uh, control of both aperture and shutter independently, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, so it it, uh, may change more. But at this point, he has a working um, new brain for the SX-70 and a working dongle and then a prototype of like a really beautifully printed uh, dongle that looks like, you know, an injection mold from a factory rather than what I think is very beautiful and Joaquin does, which is like a PCB that sticks up out of the camera that, you know, gives you shutter control. Um, but, yeah, um, check out their website if, if you guys are interested, and in it. it's opensx sx70.com. Um, Joaquin is a really uh, smart and humble guy and uh, seems like he – uh, is very open to collaborators and and sort of just wants to share this with the world. And so I bet there's a bunch of listeners out there that probably can't help themselves. (laughs) They (laughs) they should, uh, contact Joaquin. I, he asked me if I would like to build one and I said, yes, but also I, I just can't for six months. I need to spend the next month, you know, getting all the orders out and, uh, you know, fulfilling my obligations and finishing some of my own prototypes. But yeah, this is something that I would love to do, um, to this camera and, and others. And, uh, yeah. In, intensely interesting project. Um, what else did I do in Spain? Yeah, I saw some stuff.
2: I ate some stuff. Um, uh, what, what, uh, did you do a lot of um, uh, w- we saw a bunch of pictures on your uh, Instagram of you, you know, essentially holding up the homunculus in front of something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's like those yeah. horrible pictures of um like the back of a Leica M six looking at it like just right. some generic sunset and it's a way better right. picture of the camera than the camera is actually taking. That's what right, I tried right, to do. Right. I thought it would be good marketing. Picked up a couple sure. of followers, living that IG so, life, no big deal.
2: Yeah, so um so now you have you've, you've just spent three weeks with the homunculus. Um it has been your um Everyday camera. Uh, Everyday camera. So tell us about how that worked.
0: So I actually went uh, between two everyday cameras, which was really the homunculus and the new panoramic one. And so I know the homunculus is working. There's a lot of people out there, you know, sending me photos that they've taken with it or posting on Instagram or whatever. Um, It's a little awkward to carry in a like a strap the way I have mine set up because I have a big finder, which I usually. Take off and put in my pocket, so it didn't dig in my back while I was scootering around Malaga. Um, but yeah, I mean it was it was small and light. I'm really excited for the pictures I shot. A lot of um, uh, let's see, 120 Portra, 160 BC, uh, 400 BC. Um, I brought I some a... black film for it, but I did not shoot any
1: of that. I have a uh, strap solution for the oh, yeah? camera that I use for all those kinds of that kind of bulky. Cubish cameras. I've just been um, using a Nikon strap. Yeah. So what what I find really works great with those is uh you know what's that company that makes all the straps that click together? Optech. Oh Op- yeah. You know they make a really big line of things. So they make a X. It's it's a uh, figure eight strap that it crosses on your back, makes an X on your back, and then comes presents a clip to each side of your midsection. And then you attach clips to the strap oh, yeah, lugs yeah, yeah, on yeah. the camera. And it, it basically allows it to, it holds it close to your stomach or, or your, you know, depending on how t- tight you make the straps and it's just much, much more stable. It doesn't swing around. So you can do all kinds of vigorous movement without the camera sloshing back and forth. Um, right. But I you used can pick do this pick it.
0: my blood for like,
1: yeah. Five, five, and and there, so there are, you know, binoculars they're great for binoculars but anyway i use that and you can also unclip it and pop it on a tripod and not be attached to it anymore and the strap doesn't you know stays on your body you don't have to uh it's very simple and fast to use so i find that so big improvement
2: when you're when you're wearing this out or this uh you know this contraption that you've got going on do you feel the need to say we don't need no stinking cameras I don't even know oh, if it's a reference. Oh, my God. Dude. Yeah. You don't need those no stinking badges. Um, yeah. It, just, it looks like a bandolero. Oh, no, yeah. You know, those. That's, no, no. Uh, it doesn't look anything
1: like that. And you wear it you underneath know, your backpack you know, and underneath your raincoat. Uh, that's,
2: yeah. that's fine. That, that, that's fine. I'm going to tell you, there are people out there who were laughing. And you just didn't. Get, okay, fine. No, um, I get
0: it. I mean, I I'm just, not going to get every reference okay well, i'm well, not laughing did, with you is I'm it laughing a movie reference you. yeah
2: yeah it's a movie reference what is it uh i feel uh, like i've heard
0: um, it but never seen the source material
1: sounds like cheech and chong or something like that uh
2: here i'll tell you what it's from uh quickly it is from the uh treasure of the sierra madre and, and, and the,
0: what year did that come out
2: for? uh 1948 okay well, I yeah, guess yeah it was true. before my birth too <laughs> It was before my birth too. Um, I think it's and, been
1: re- repeated on other yeah. uh, movies since then. Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and the and the idea is uh, they don't need uh, stinking badges because they have guns, I see. <laughs> you know. I see. So so that's the idea. Um. Anyway, um. Okay, so that was the Monculus. What about the uh, the Panorama? Yeah. So I probably carried
0: them about fifty-fifty. Um. I got to say, like. As a camera out and about, the panoramic camera is pretty nice. I like how the strap is set up on one end. I've been using, like, a dome key strap and how it sits flat against my body when I'm, you know, riding. I did a lot of scooter riding with those Lime scooters or bird scooters. Uh, Pretty fun way to get around (laughs) around towns lazily. Um, Yeah, so I shot, I don't know, 25, 30 rolls of black and white and another 10 of color. Uh, most of the things were not uh, all of that interesting, except for you know some architecture, different streetscapes, things I saw. Um, I had the 65 millimeter on it, which I like, but it was not nearly wide enough to capture much of the Sagrada Familia. Um, I did go see a bullfight, which I had mixed feelings about, but it was very interesting, part of uh, you know world heritage, I guess. Uh, yeah. How I feel about it, um, and I took. Uh, just, I, I was actually really sick. I got the flu or a cold for three or four days. I took my uh, Mute 2 in my pocket. I, just, I was feeling too weak to <laughs> really do anything, but I wished I had brought the panoramic camera for that. Uh, it was very uh, intense, let's just say, but also beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in this old, like, sort of Moorish-inspired 1920s, uh, like, 23-, 24,000-person
1: stadium. Uh, wow cool. wait which, which city which city was that that was in madrid oh, okay yeah i i went to one in uh a long long time ago didn't care for it much yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah.
2: i yeah uh it looks a whole lot of fun until they bring out the swords that's yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. the problem that i have um but you know uh, 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 yeah uh, yeah
1: that's, the the one i went to was in Valencia. it was an amazing uh space you know, as a there, there ought to be more kind of outdoor theaters still.
0: It's very like Roman gladiator coliseum
1: mm-hmm. type of. Yeah. Um. And I guess it's not all that different than watching, you know, young men give each other brain damage. Uh. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You mean playing <laughs> hockey? Uh, is that is that another shot shot at me? We had a a little conversation about the new Seattle hockey team. And uh, I was told I, I was silly for being a hockey fan. That's fine. That's fine. Um, okay. Um, so um, what did you find when you were, this is more um, less camera related, more photography related. What did you find to take pictures of that you found that you took uh, pictures over and over with uh, over uh-huh. and over of? um. Sure. What did you What did you see?
0: Yeah, so I'm always, like, you know, really why I carry a camera is, like, looking for some some crazy thing going on uh, that doesn't normally happen. And like, that didn't really happen to me. I did a very sort of touristy type of thing, right? I had to spend so many days, uh, like, in Ibiza, poor me, partying my brains out uh, with some of my friends when I got married. And, like, uh, a bunch of days in Malaga, which is, like, a very... I don't know. It, it's nice, but it, it, it wasn't uh, motorcycling around Southeast Asia, but that way, like not too much I found that surprised me. And so consequently, there wasn't that many things that I was super excited to photograph. There were a lot of okay. like, um, you know, you go do some like the, the, tour of like uh, i guess it was Malaga there was a Faro, which is this old uh, hilltop castle or you know if you go on top of a building or, or anywhere you get a view right there's always nice cityscapes to be taken i, I shot one like from um the museum of uh the national museum of like, catalan art is on a giant uh hill um and you can see much of barcelona you know like just postcardy type pictures uh, and they
1: have amazing Moreau paintings there i think
0: i actually did not get to go in uh, by the time i got there it was closed but we walked all around it <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, it is an extremely impressive building we've talked enough about buildings but i would i would put it on my list for the next time but yeah anyway i I didn't get to shoot so many pictures that I think will be amazing. Maybe one or two I'll develop in in the next couple of days. And then I can remember what I shot pictures of a little bit better. Uh, But, you know, I did put another uh, 30, 40 rolls through that uh, panoramic camera and it's still good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I adjusted one screw once uh, in two and a half weeks. And so, yeah, it, it could be way smoother. Nico did not like how rough, the advance was on it, uh, which I mean, I agree with him, but it's also more important for me to have a camera that won't break than a camera that's super smooth. Um, right. You know, and, and my camera is now like filthy. I just sort of wore it on the outside of everything or just threw it in my backpack on top of dirty clothes and whatever with no bag. Uh, but it's, you know, like if the tolerances are so sloppy, you could probably
1: pour sand in it and it would continue to work (laughs) or maybe in an emergency grind coffee with it or you know yeah yeah Yeah. i i'm still really leaning more and more towards the plain old knob wind and you know with a nice selection of red windows and yeah so maybe that clicks you know
0: so i showed nico these two cameras and he actually said something that i think is something that i had thought about but hadn't really heard it from another you know reviewer person um, who shoots with cameras like this is that um, he was like amazed in a bad way <laughs> that uh, my giant camera only shot 35 millimeter panoramic. He was like, this should shoot six by seven. And I thought like <laughs> this might actually be really, really easy to make a six by seven or six by nine version of this with just like a knob wind and window and like ditch all of that film advance. And maybe I could make one, you know, it doesn't have interchangeable backs like the homunculus, but um it might be like a smaller form factor and sort of like a quicker street shooter type of thing
1: it could so. be sl- it could be sleeker and you yeah. could have more uh control over how far the film is advanced between shots which could be really cool just change masks for different you know instead yeah, they're, of they're, changing they're holders as well as you, you just fashion. change the mask yeah it'd be great
2: So I took a little vacation, a uh, little five-day long weekend uh, to the North Carolina mountains because I live in a part of the country that really does not get a, uh, a good set of fall colors. Um, and since it is fall in the Northern Hemisphere right now, it is autumn, uh, it, we... we We headed up to North Carolina uh, into the mountains uh, near Asheville and um, uh, drank some beer. No, uh, and took some pictures, drove around. I think we were maybe a week early for peak, but my God, we got a lot of really good colors. And um, how are they around you, Nick?
1: Actually, this year they've been very dramatic and really, really great. We had some intense color while half the stuff was still green it was yeah. it was great
2: yeah that's uh it, there was quite a bit of green stay you know that was still green but we got a ton of color and um it, the um it, i i took up a bunch of cameras um and i'll and i'll talk about them as we go but we had a very cold night and followed by a rainy day and so, of course, the the cold will will help those colors on um, yeah, towards their, you know, changing. And but then the rain, of course, makes everything. And it was a drizzly rainy day. It wasn't a, you know, deluge day because that'll take all of the leaves out of the trees. Uh, but it was a it was one of those days that where everything just got coated in the right amount of water. So that all of the colors were, were very contrasty and very bright and very, so, uh, I had a great time, um, uh, taking a bunch of pictures. Now I took pictures, um, with, uh, I took an SX or uh, not an SX 70, an X370, close to an SX 70, but completely different, uh, an X370 that I have with an 18 millimeter lens, And there were a couple of situations where I was able to do like like a picture of a leaf in water and then getting the whole width of a river and then getting the trees on the other side all within one image, Um, which I'm I'm really hoping that that role turns out well. Uh, it's going to be several weeks before I get a chance to develop any of that. But one of the things that I did uh, do was I took my um, uh, Fuji XE2 digital camera, and we talked a little bit uh, a little bit about this in the last episode. Um, I bought a cheap um, X mount lens that is just. It's manual focus, but it is it's sharp and it's beautiful and it's easy to use. And um I did a um uh a, a ton of images with that. Um and then I uh you know went back to the place we were staying and and processed them on my laptop. Um and this led me into kind of a philosophy and a and a theory of um of what is uh, of what is acceptable and what is expected out of a photograph today versus what was expected out of a photograph um say 20 30 40 50 years ago as they as we go back and I, and I'm talking about a color photograph so you know the first thing I did was open the the camera raw file and increase the contrast and increase the saturation and And, you know, because the point of the photograph was the color, right? Um, You know, and I increased it to a point that was well beyond what my eyes saw. Um, And I, I, it's been a long time since I've done that. And so I, I I thought about it a lot as I was doing it. And, And one of the things I was thinking about is, um, should I be doing it? You know, that was the the question, you know, is, is this something I should be doing? And then I think, you know, okay, so we, we go into the dark room with a black and white negative and we choose, um, what, how contrasty the paper is, or we're going to use variable contrast paper and and, with filters and, and and I I just kind of released, That anxiety for myself, just saying, you know, I mean, we've we don't print straight no matter what uh, anybody says. Uh, We make choices with our developer. We make choices with our uh, uh, printing uh, papers and contrasts. Uh, When you scan something, you make a choice. Um, When you process for for, uh, you know, putting up on Instagram, if you're scanning negatives, you're making choices all all along the lines. And what you're doing is you're making, you're trying to make the photograph better, right? Um, so, I, you know, even though I, I made it look, uh, and it wasn't ridiculous candy picture, candy color, but it was certainly bright color. Um, uh, and uh, and I had a lot of fun doing that. I, I got to say, I had a lot of fun really making those uh, images really... Uh, really jump out, uh, with their, with their color. Uh, and it's something that it's been a long time since I've, since I've done. And, and this kind of actually led me to an analogy. Um, when we switched from vinyl and tape, you know, so when we switch from cassette and vinyl in music, um, and into the CD, the CD had, a tremendously wider dynamic range than um, little grooves on a vinyl record. And so what happened was, uh, and with also with increased electronic music production, we started getting these really deep bass uh, notes that um, you know that you cannot or that are very difficult to produce
1: with a tuba
2: um, with a t- yeah well even with a with a tuba because um or with like a kettle drum you
1: no, know i'm oops. agreeing with you you can't no matter how you blow on a tuba it's not going to sound like a you know, it, huge huge bass amp no
2: right right and um and so uh we we saw this expansion of music um into into these really wide dynamic ranges um, whereas when you listen to music that was recorded on analog equipment and has, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and it hopefully is played back on analog equipment, you get, um, that narrower band and certainly there's bass and certainly there's treble, certainly there's mid range, but it is much lesser degree. So So what you're
1: saying is you were you were shooting some gaudy rock and roll there with your.
2: Yeah, well, no, what I'm trying to say is is the concept of um, if that is acceptable, if if that type of thing is acceptable, then it's acceptable within the photography industry to expand that um, uh, the dynamic range that you get within a photograph.
1: I see that all the time. In fact, there's some incredible photographs being published right now in the New York times um, from the fires in California where there are outlandish, beautiful colors. And I, I know from experience that they're not exactly what you see when you're there, even though that's the mantra of uh, journalistic photographers nowadays, these are art photographs. (laughs) They're there at these sumptuous colors in the grass and in the flames. And, they're wonderful, uh, but they're not strictly what it looks like when you're actually there with smoke in your eye.
2: Right, and uh, but um, I, I think a lot of our end of the industry, the analog end of the industry, um, we've got kind of a Luddite approach to that. You know, if you can't do it on paper, then um, you know, if you can't do it with silver and paper, then you, yeah, um, it's cheating. You That's know, exactly the
1: opposite of what I do, Graham. When I shoot with yeah. digital when I shoot with mm-hmm. digital, I dial the saturation way back in order to to make it less exaggerated. And when I shoot with film, I process it digitally so I can just crank up the saturation as far as I Yeah, am. okay. And I do so, exactly the opposite thing. It's like so, I push the analog into the real crazy territory okay. and, and hold back with digital for some reason. It's just the way I do it.
2: Yeah, I was gonna ask why. Why? Why why do you feel that? What's <laughs> the
1: seems what's to me so that it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's just feels right to me. Like, so you would strum an electric guitar differently than you would strum a, you know, gut string classical guitar. I mean, they're different and you're just trying to please, if you're just trying to please yourself, it's just whatever your taste is. And that yeah, just ha- yeah, yeah, happens yeah. to be the direction I'm going. And I think it changes from one camera to the next. So some cameras tend to, uh, uh, hardly any cameras put realistic colors out, even in, you know, they're, even in the way their raw files are, are shown to you on a screen, they usually are jacking up the color anyway, automatically. And I think it's because it sells cameras. And so that's one reason I'll dial it back a bit, because when I open the thing in Lightroom, it comes through often uh, with what I find to be distracting levels of saturation. Um, and I like to usually dial it back selectively, so I'll emphasize less of the spectrum instead of turning everything up to 11 all the way across the spectrum. So simplifying it a little usually. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ethan, what do you think uh, uh, about this? Is this something that, that you consider or even worried about? Yeah. I mean,
0: I just shoot for myself. So generally I'm some going somewhere between what it actually looked like and um, what I think looks best uh, sort of just formally on, on the picture. Um, probably the same for, um, digital and film, except when I'm shooting like items for eBay or, or something to list for cameradactyl.com or something like that. Then I just try and go as close as I possibly can to the actual colors of the thing as I see it, you know?
2: Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, I, I just, um, I don't know. I think it, I, I think that this is, is something that is political, uh, within hmm. our little subgroup of this subgenre, you know, um, and and I think it's uh, it, and I, I I feel like I've come under the pressure of it. Um, uh, so, you're a, you're a
1: contrarian through and through, Graham. So of course, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> of course, if if black and white is like art, then you're gonna go for technicolor, and I really do respect yeah. I do respect that. I think it's a good yeah. instinct to go against. I, the the trend and, and see what you can do with it.
2: Yeah. And you know, um uh you you speak of muted colors that um uh, the Lomo was it Potsdam um Lomo whatever the uh the the color film they came out with uh a few months ago that was muted very muted colors well that's the same kind of color palette you get if you use bleach bypass uh, with C41, have you guys ever done bleach bypass? Oh no, C41? No. Uh, uh, it's uh, I I recommend everybody trying it. Um, so essentially, what you do is you use your color developer, and then if you have a a blix a kit with blix, you just fix it using you know normal fixer black and white. i see so everything, everything is the fixer. same tone
0: and you just have different colors right because you have right. black and white negative there
2: right. yeah, i've seen We're, some of
0: those pictures uh i've yeah. seen people make masks to do that in the dark room
2: yeah and and it, it's um it I, i've done it a couple of i've done a couple of roles uh i think m from emulsive um talked about uh, it on some show or you know some show he was on some podcast he was on and I uh, I looked it up and said oh I gotta try that and and I like that and that's that muted it, it the the colors come out very muted they they're still saturated but they're very dark right they all, still the,
0: have... all the tones are the same the colors
2: yeah uh, are yeah.
1: still there so very little so, tonal range in other words uh yeah
2: yeah yeah um and and i, I think it's something that's uh i it's it's a uh, it, it's a nice effect that it, that uh you know I, I i tone down things on occasion uh with color when i'm working with with digital um uh so it, it's just another way to get that effect i think um, mm-hmm. sure um, so one of the other things, uh, I shot, uh, some more of the Pano, um, pictures using the Holga, um, and I'm not sure how those will come out. Like with
0: uh, the slit mask and winding or with the, uh, WPC?
2: But no, it was with, um, yeah, it was with the six by six Holga and it's, uh, uh, 24 by 56, oh, um, uh, mask. So. Um, I'm having a lot of, a lot of fun with that. You know, uh, I'll put it this way. There, there are, I, I love seeing the world that way. I have to do it in my brain cause I've not masked off the viewfinder. Mm-hmm. So I, I really have to kind of approximate, um, uh, where the edges are, but I love looking at the world that way. Um, And um, when I when we were in Asheville, we went through the uh, River Arts District, which is really five different clusters of um, it's huge. Uh, It's a huge area Um, and five different clusters of buildings. And and we probably went in and out of, uh, you know, a couple hundred galleries um, or, you know, workshops, you know, uh, or collective workshops and one of the things that I saw a couple of times were paintings and drawings and prints that were done in panoramic angles. And it just once again really, really um, uh, pulled, my, pulled my brain towards that. Um, so, and and uh, the other thing I was going to say about the Holga um, that I really like is it's light as hell. It's almost like not carrying another camera. So you can always carry it as a secondary camera in, in a pocket. If you, I wear cargo shorts and cargo pants, so I can <laughs> you always could, carry it. Um, you, could,
1: you can glue a safety pin to one of those and just pin it to your shirt. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could. Uh, I'm not that kind of punk rocker. <laughs> um, All
1: right, your so pants. Pin
2: then. it to your nose.
1: Your ear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, now, camera earrings, I think it has to happen. So the sunny 16 people have a project going and I know we've already been on their show talking about complicated gadgets that might help people with a project of shooting some sort of photographic image or set of images that, that portray day into night or the transition from day to night. And although we thought of lots of really complicated gadgets, I know I didn't have time to make any of them myself. Um, I got some notes that I stored away in my file of crazy ideas for the future. But what I ended up doing was the simplest possible thing, which I went for a walk on the beach with a camera at the end of the day and took a bunch of pictures as the sun went down. (laughs) 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 Uh, Didn't even, you know, none of that stuff with a tripod or, you know, sweeping from left, to right. None of it. I just took a bunch of pictures, but I had a 35 millimeter lens on a beautiful camera that, uh, Graham gave me and it was so pleasurable and I'm sure that eventually when I get that film back who knows when at least a few weeks from now um, because I'm going away pretty soon for a little bit and anyway when I get back and get around to developing the film and, and getting it uh, looking at it I'm sure there's going to be a set of pictures in there that'll do the job that I wanted so um, it and it was the simplest thing I just and that's kind of where where i end up a lot of times like i love inventing things but when it comes to actually taking pictures i like a pretty free open approach where i just you know see what happens uh so that was a lot of fun
2: uh-huh so how are how do you plan on presenting these how do you plan on making it um part of that day and tonight uh concept well or is it gonna just be a series of images no well It could be, but I expect to whittle it down to the three,
1: you know, three, if I'm lucky, three good ones that are, you know, that start with one that's well lit and end with one that's poorly lit. And I did purposely turn down the exposure, you know, by a stop and then two stops as time went on so that it wouldn't all be, you know, look like day. Mm -hmm. And there were there were there's effects that happen. I mean, you, if you don't change the exposure, you can still tell the difference because the light changes and the colors change and all that. But I like it to actually get a little dark because, you know, my eyes start to go as as the light leaves. And that's part of the experience that I want to convey is is the actual onset of darkness. So oh,
2: I just uh, when you were saying that, I just thought of the perfect way to troll them. And uh, that is to. um just take a, a picture that was taken in the daytime and then just black out the other half. Uh, yeah,
1: so you, know, you mean just like with a
2: felt <laughs> tip pen or something or, or 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 just digitally, you know, just uh half of it, half of it's a picture. The other half of it's just a black square. No,
1: I think it has to be uh, analog. You have to use uh, ink and uh, a brush.
2: Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. yeah. Stick right. it. Stick to analog. I don't think that there was anything in there that said it had to be analog um i mean yeah but it's sunny 16 channel. get out of town right but i but they were talking about processing the images together digitally well
1: yeah um, we all that's, that's the cheating we allow but you're supposed yeah, oh, to whatever I,
2: george from on the streets podcast um he did um a uh he he did just digitally processing set up his camera took pictures uh, over a period of time and uh, just digitally process them together. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that that meets the brief. Of course, that's what I was talking about.
1: Yeah. But what I'm going to do is just pick my, you know, yeah. my best two or three and make either a diptych or a triptych out of them and p- put it together as as one file um, for posting and maybe yeah. print it out at home.
2: I think I'm going to I think I'm going to troll them. Uh, of course listen, you are. Listen on. But I think that I think that somebody needs to troll Graham every once in a while so he has something to, to rail against.
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. His, his so. life is just such a picnic these days. Make it worse. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. So uh Ethan, before you left you had the um uh you had the day into night camera in process. So, uh, are you going to pick that back up?
0: Um, maybe so. Okay. I was really trying hard to get at like a, you know, first little camera, maybe take one picture before I left, but then, um, I got slammed with the orders that I had to fill and that took first priority. And now, um, I, I'm not sure how long their projects is going on, but you know, I just got back, uh, yesterday and I'm fighting to stay awake in the daytime although i guess i could print cameras any time of day but um you know i've got 24 days worth of orders to ship out and print um so that'll probably take me a week uh depending upon how many are cameras or just grips or whatever um so there's a lot of like business catching up to do that i've got to do to fulfill my obligations Good. from people who sent
1: so me few, money then a few um, weeks in a few weeks you and i will get it done and if we're, well, late, here we're is, late
0: here is the other obligation right so i have most of the pieces on my desk but i i need to make a couple more pieces and program the thing but um the other obligation that i find way more interesting is our afghan box camera challenge which will end in two more recording sessions um, uh uh-huh. so i A day and tonight camera would be fun for one picture and fun to send it around, but um, I think it will make our podcast much better if we all finish at least something for this project. And I would like to build maybe a 4x5 or 8x10 Afghan box camera. I got some chemicals that came in the day before I left uh, for doing RA4 printing, and so I'm going to try and do some color direct positives with them, Um, partially because the paper is about uh, 10 times more sensitive like iso 12 or something um or should be we'll we'll see how Mm -hmm. it actually goes but um Um, should be able to some faster picks
2: and speaking of that challenge we need to give a shout out to the lensless podcast um this last episode had joe baker who is evil chutney um on some of his projects i
0: haven't listened to that
2: episode yet yeah, well, he talks about the one that he did for the self-developing camera. Yeah, with so, the
0: funnel sticking out of the top.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wild. So he talks, yeah, he talks about that. So it's, um, it's well worth listening to and his approach on that. So that was show seventy-five from from the Lensless podcast. Um, uh. So, uh, anyway, I it, I I thought it was a a really good um, uh, I thought it was a really good approach. Uh, that he had to that.
1: Yeah, it was, it looked cool. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of stuff that's being made. Um, There are some people making some really outlandish contraptions that appear to have been instigated by our, our, uh, you know, some of our ideas and some of Graham and the sunny 16 crew's ideas about um, day into night cameras. There's some, some stuff I still don't understand that's being cooked up by a bunch (laughs) of people right now. Yeah, yeah. So, last time I went, uh, we talked about what I'm looking for and trying to take you know, make sense of all this photography that I'm doing is I talked about making uh, wanting to shoot interactions, so photographs that showed entities interacting or brought to mind some sort of interaction. But if you extend that, if you take a series of photographs where the interactions connect one photograph to the next, now you're telling a story, and I think that's really what I'm interested in doing. And whether it's journalism or fiction or what, whatever, some kind of a story, and I really want to make series of images rather than just keep hunting for singular interesting shots. So one of the things that's pushing me towards is simplifying what I'm using because I think when you're telling a story, it's distracting to jump around a whole lot between different kinds of film and different kinds of lenses and different kinds of cameras. Well, not so much different kinds of cameras, but if you jump around too much with focal length, um, it can, to, to me anyway, it can often be distracting or, or at least don't do it unless there's a, r- a real point to it, you know? Um, so maybe there is a, a reason to suddenly change to a wide angle, a lens, if you're telling a story, but you better have a good reason and not just randomly <laughs> pull that camera out because it's distracting in, in my opinion, very often. Um, probably there's a way around that it's, there could be a style of, you know, of, of storytelling where you could do that and get away with it but i find that i do better when i keep things simple so i'm planning to go away pretty soon for a little bit into a place with a bright sun where i'm going to take a lot of photographs that i can work on back in the dark rainy winter uh, where i live you know sort of store up some sunshine for the winter and and i find that i'm just going to take a couple of 35 millimeter cameras that one will be a really nice rangefinder camera and the other one will be a more of a beater SLR because, you know, if I want to take it out, it may be in the rough, rougher areas where I want to have a camera. I don't care if I drop it or somebody takes it from me, I'm not going to care. So I, I like to always have kind of a beater camera as well as something nice. And, and I'm also taking the homunculus with two lenses. And I was going to, I was going to ask you about where you're settling uh, because I'm finding when I'm out using the thing in this street I, I want the smaller lenses. I want either the 65 or the one hundred three point five, 3.5, which are small light lenses that don't, mm-hmm. that don't make the camera front heavy and don't make you feel like you're going to, you know, drop it and breaks, break something. Yeah. Um, I, like the big heavy lenses do. Yeah. I've been shooting almost
0: exclusively with the 93.5 and the 65. Um, yeah, yep. Which yeah. I've modified to an F4, but shoot mostly at 11 to 16. Um, I like the 90. It's not as sharp as the 100, but it's significantly smaller, and mine collapses, so it's good for throwing in your bag on vacation. And right. it's, um, yeah, um, we'll see. Maybe in time I will want more of the sharpness of the 100, but um, I like that lens. I've actually, uh, I've been interested in buying a 50 for the panorama camera, which is bigger but um might get me a
1: little uh, bit... you know what the 50 is fine because it's it's very compact it's well it's big but it doesn't stick out I see. um so it, it is a little heavier and it is big but it doesn't feel out of balance at all it's a great mm-hmm. lens but it's also very wide and i'm kind of getting into this mindset where i just want to use kind of the, the equivalent fields of view of 35 millimeter 40 millimeter and maybe 50 at the longest yeah that's kind of where I'm settling right now for, for most stuff. And I love the 90. I have a sharp 90 on a different plastic camera. That's the 90 Angulon. And that is a, mm-hmm. it's a great field of view. And that's a really sharp lens. It's really nice to work with. So I already have that. And the 90 millimeter, uh, Mamiya press lens I have came on a broken helical. It was unrecoverable. So I took the lens and, and I use that on other cameras and I do like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't have one for that, for the monkey mm-hmm. so. And I do like the hundred a lot. It's actually, it's when you're using a six x seven square, or a square, you know, format, it, it feels, it feels spacious. It's not like a 50 millimeter on a 35 millimeter. It's not a cramped focal. Right. Yeah. And, and 65 seems pretty wide and,
0: um, well, so I, that, I almost yeah. only use the 65 on my panoramic camera and the mm-hmm. 90 on the homunculus. That makes and sense. so the 65 is actually really useful, and you can open it up to f4. It's it's nice for like portraiture or environmental portraiture. But um, just I found myself in a lot of situations with uh, tall buildings up close, and I couldn't really like shoot a horizontal panorama and still get you know right. enough top and bottom and so um maybe i'll buy a 50 but yeah we'll we'll see what well the
1: the 50 pretty cool um so anyway what i what i would say about uh the 65 for me is that going into the sonoran desert uh it is yeah. nice to have something a little wide because there are all these saguaros these cr- are tall saguaros and other similar creatures that it's nice to get up close to um uh, and then the landscape just fills whatever you know it's it goes on and on so it's nice to have a, a wide alternative but i am mostly liking using the 100 and getting in you know a little a little more cropped in so i'm looking forward to that and then of course there has to be one more thing um and i wanted to I'm trying to really limit what I do because I, you know, only have a little bit of time. And the other thing I wanted to do is I've got an adapter to put my favorite Mamiya 645 lens on a digital camera. And that's a 55 millimeter. And it's like a portrait lens, perfect portrait lens. And just the sharp middle of that lens is really, really amazing. It's uh it's a whole other whole other kind of trip. But it has some character too it isn't uh it isn't as clinical as a completely modern lens so i'm going to look forward to fooling around with that on the digital camera as well so i guess All i have right. a, a few specific experiments that i want to carry out um and that is maybe more and more the way i work and i'm less and less inclined to carry the the full you know like a full range of stuff around with me on uh, just keep it simple.
2: All right, you want to call that out? Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Okay, and we're coming up on our uh, books and stuff. Um. i'll start this so either of you guys have any books to uh to to foist upon our audience um who are listening to podcasts to avoid reading books
1: uh no i don't have any uh books myself
2: ethan anything
0: um yeah so i was telling nico about um this photo project I like doing, which is people taking selfies um, in front of famous monuments. Like, oh man, uh, when I was at that bullfight, there were maybe three high school girls or something in front of us. And they were just like totally ignoring this guy getting gored behind them and just like taking duck face selfies of the three of them in the stands. (laughs) Using it as a background. And the women next to me were just like, uh, Googling and uh, Instagramming the matadors who were, you know, like famous
1: so sex
0: symbols. It was it was very weird and bizarre. I don't think my picture came out very good, but that was one of those situations where I was like, oh, there's something real funny here, and um, I tried for it. I, I don't think it's, it's going to be got, the best
1: frame. I tried to get the same shot in a hockey game in Tucson last year. Um, with a hey,
2: little... wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. It... <laughs> Whoa, whoa! So earlier on, you're giving me crap about uh, about about being a hockey fan. And you're talking about going to a hockey game in yeah, Tucson. Yeah,
1: So my brother-in-law uh, like follows hockey there, and it's quite an experience because uh, you're in the, the right up, up, nearly at the Mexican border, and you go into this big, big room, and they've got ice, and it's a huge stadium with thousands and thousands of seats, and there's about two dozen people watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and, and this half, was in half of them, half of them are young couples googling and and taking selfies. Yeah. And stuff. yeah. The other half are just there <laughs> for the air conditioning.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Tucson has a hockey team. I think. It,
2: yes, I think they do. They're, they're, all they're a team. minor league minor league affiliate of the Arizona uh, Coyotes. So, there you go. Um, I can't think of what the name of the team uh is there. I want to say Roadrunners, but I don't think that's right. Um, but anyway, um, the you book. Know, I, when I was in Seattle, we took. A, speaking of duck, we took a duck boat ride, um, and that uh, uh, right in front of us was a woman who the entire time took selfies that I tried to photobomb all the time, and I think that she hated me. at by the, <laughs> but, but, but it was just this this thing of she never looked out the window never looked out the window she all she was doing was looking at her phone and and taking and she must have taken uh 70 or 80 i would so, say so. so i
1: have to say i once and i may have already described this on the show but i once saw a virtuoso selfie uh, performance in this tower on the edge of the grand canyon this was like a couple of years ago and there were a lot of people in there, but there's this, it was a pretty big space. And as you went up the circular stairway, there were little windows that framed amazing views of the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. And there was an, a Japanese couple, and I thought of them as elderly, right? And I'm already in my 60s, so they were in their 70s for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but beautiful, elegant couple. And the man had a phone on a... I swear, pearl handled selfie stick, right? Mm-hmm. And he and his wife went in front of every window and turned so that they both had perfect window light, took the photo. It only took seconds, but you could see them moving their heads in unison, the perfect lighting, the click, and they moved off and they never spoke a word to each other. They had perfect. It was like watching, it's like people watching people do ballroom dancing, okay
2: yes, and yeah. and
1: it was just so refined I mean they were obviously every single image was gonna be beautiful
2: you know <laughs> I remember seeing uh, seeing an article in you know like maybe popular photography magazine, and this had to be maybe eighty eight eighty nine ninety somewhere right in there. And it was about a guy who had a point-and-shoot camera, and everywhere he went, he held it at arm's length and took a picture of himself. That was my first knowledge of the concept of a selfie, was that this guy went everywhere and took a picture of himself, and he he did a show. You remember that you dancing
1: know? guy, the, the guy would, who would do this ridiculous dance in front of a different uh, exotic foreign background?
2: oh god he was he was like
1: an early internet phenomenon and it was essentially an endless
2: selfie uh yeah Yeah. so but i mean i i love the idea that the concept was worthy of a show you know about 1990 Mm -hmm. whereas uh now it's um it's a it's it's
1: a compulsive tick yeah right
2: yeah yeah so anyway um uh ethan do you have any shout outs Oh, yeah, so
0: I didn't even get to the book. Oh, yeah,
2: tell us
0: about the book. Um, I was telling Nico about this project of trying to, like, get, you know, people, uh, some famous place taking selfies. And then he recommended this book, um, Watching People Watching, by, uh, I pulled it up here, uh, Inka Lindergaard and Nicholas Holstrom. I think I'm saying that all right. Um, It's not exactly the same concept, but it's, uh, way more beautiful than my work. Uh, and it's just a photo book of sort of like watching people looking at things. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah. Well, it's so great. everyone's writing their yeah. personal story. I mean, that's this, that's what's going on with all the selfies. And that's why the cameras all have to have a wide angle lens. So you can get something besides the, the duck face in the picture.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, um, I guess you, a longer selfie stick would work, but it would be very awkward, you know, waving around a 20 foot pole in in a crowd. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I have a, a
0: few shout outs to do. Yeah, or if yes. you want to do a book first, Graham.
2: No, I have no books. I have no books.
0: Okay, yeah. Big thanks to Joaquin de Prada of um, OpenSX70. Check him out at OpenSX70.com. And I think he's got an Instagram account, which is OpenSX70. Um, but maybe double check that from his website um, also Nico Yacera um, was a super excellent host when I was up in Bilbao it was amazing to get him to see him you know, do what he does and make his uh, videos and news um, you can check him out at Nico's photo show on YouTube um, and he's Nicolas Yacera on it's, uh, on Instagram we'll put the links in the show notes Um, And then also uh, David Allen's got a new YouTube analog podcast thing that he's figuring out. Um, But it's like I think he said he would bleep out anytime people talked about gear, which I think is great because, you know, the analog photo community is not always focused on pictures. Right. I mean, it's a self-defined community around the gear. And so it tends to be you know, people like us talking about levers or sharpness or optical qualities. And like, ultimately, eh, eh, I think the pictures are much more interesting, uh, as but ridiculous as might sound,
1: but they're harder to talk about. They are, <laughs> but,
0: but so he's using OBS, which is open to broadcast studio, which allows him to pull in a lot of video feeds. And he's like a pretty prolific video editor and uh, much, much better sound editor than I am. And so I think, um, It's not going to be like a podcast you can listen to in the car necessarily, but it might be really fun to listen to on YouTube. Um, I tried to do one with him yesterday. We'll see if that comes out Um, probably pretty bad. It might just be a video of him bleeping me talking about gear. (laughs)
2: Um,
0: But I'm I'm really excited to see where that's going.
2: Um, What's the name of it?
0: Yeah, good question. I said David's photography show. Uh, I'm looking it up right now.
3: Um, Yeah,
1: hang on. Sorry. So while you're Uh, Googling away, I could uh, I could say that there's a there's a guy on uh, uh, the Flickr group of the Homemade Camera Podcast who does some really interesting photography. And he's modifying old cameras. And his name is Badru Jones, B-A-D-R-U Jones. And there's some. Camera projects, but even better, look at his photos. There, There's some good stuff in there.
3: Well, I'm
0: going
1: to check that out.
0: Um, so David Allen is just David Allen on um, YouTube, and it's the Photography at Large series, which is just one episode of him oh, of him not being able to get a guest and talking to himself. It's, it's pretty irreverent and funny. I, I like it. Um, I'm excited to see what he does with it. So uh, yeah.
1: Okay. David Allen, YouTube.
2: Cool. All right. Uh, I don't have any uh, particular shout outs. I, I, I'll tell you what. I'll shout out uh, my uh, neighbor, Lauren, across the street. We made <laughs> uh, mead again yesterday. Um, and, but before we did that, we robbed the um, the the beehive of its honey. And, um, uh, I found out that really pisses off the bees. So I have some, some stingers, some, uh, uh, bee stings on my, on my arm that I wasn't, you know, and I was standing a hell of a long way away. Um, and, uh, so that was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we did that yesterday and, uh, I know it's not related, but, uh, in a couple of weeks we'll bottle some mead and in you know so in about a month we'll have some uh to drink and to find out how how good it is and and all that type of stuff so so yeah that's uh that's my shout out um uh, i think we need to thank robbie don't you think
1: yeah, Robbie, thanks for making the music that we use throughout our podcast. That's Robbie Cribbs at Soundtrap Studios. Thanks,
2: Robbie. Thanks, Robbie.